to have you on this, our last and final uh, session, class lesson, on this uh, study through Philippians, Finding Joy in Difficult Times. As I looked to this fall and I looked at possible subject matters, I thought this would be a good study as we close out the year of 2020 and look ahead to 2021 with great faith and also with great hope, because our hope and our trust are in God. And so, as Romans 15 says, we overflow with hope. And as the book of Philippians says, we rejoice in the Lord always. So, whether you're watching this live with me right now on my Facebook page, or if you're watching it on my Facebook page or the West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook pages later, or even on our website, westirwin.com, and uh, clicking on social media and other resources and finding that link to the live stream page and the uh, video archives. You can find them all there. Um, all of the studies that I've done uh, this year and the sermons that I've done over the past few years here at West Irwin and Tyler uh, are there on our website. And you can uh, find them on Facebook as well just by scrolling down. That's a lot to scroll uh, but if you go to westerwin.com, W-E-S-T-E-R-W-I-N.com, our church is located on West Irwin Street in downtown Tyler, uh, where we have been since 1885. Haven't been to Preacher for quite that long. Thank you very much. But we've been there at that location. And um, I appreciate everyone uh, participating and supporting. But if you want to look back through some of these, look back through some of the previous series that I did, here on Facebook and on our uh, website. You can do that at that website, westerwin.com. Click on the, go over the social media and other resources link. Click on the video, live streaming page and then scroll down a little bit. You'll see the big blue box where you can watch our services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time and also these lessons uh, at 6 p.m. Uh, when I'm doing them. Uh, and you can go down to that video archive link, uh, a little bit lower than the big blue box, and you can find all of our previous services and all of my previous lessons and sermons from the last few years down there, including this series of lessons on Philippians, uh, one I did earlier in the year from during the summer from the book of Psalms, uh, what I did uh, at the beginning of the year from the Gospel of Matthew, and I hope that you'll be able to uh, enjoy and appreciate those and be challenged by them and feel free to send me an email or a uh, text message or anything else that might uh, help us get the conversation started. Uh, some are able to watch live and so when I see your name pop up, I if, if it's at a good place, then I might try to say hello. So hello to my dear friends Larry and Lynn uh, Murphy. Love and miss you all so much. Love your family. So proud of all of you. And, of course, my dear sister, Barbara Kasky, is on here, too, today, this afternoon. Uh, what a wonderful source of encouragement that she is. She and I have a lot of fun together, jabbing each other like brother and sister, and I couldn't be happier about that. Um, so as we look at this last lesson uh, on the book of Philippians, we do have a few verses still to read uh, for the last three or four verses from Philippians 4. But what I would especially like to do today is um, and I thought about just reading through the letter, uh, pretending that you're in church in first century Philippi in modern day Greece, and uh, uh, someone comes in and says there's a whole bunch of excitement uh, today because we've gotten a letter uh, from our friend and, and teacher, uh, uh, missionary evangelist, uh, brother in Christ, the Apostle Paul, and, 
and he sent it to us, and uh, we're going to read it today. But I'm going to almost do that. I'm going to read a lot from Philippians, a lot of great, encouraging, wonderful passages, uh, but we won't read them all. But I do want to uh, share a little bit about this great this great book. And this is one of those lessons that you may want to bookmark or check or favorite or whatever you do on that one and be able to do that because uh, this lesson is a, a summary lesson about the letter, the epistle uh, of Paul to the Philippians. And so a few little things. Hello to my dear friends, Joe and Lenny Allard, who have signed on and several others have already signed on. And I know others of you will be watching this a little bit later. So praise God for you. Thank you for the encouragement that you have been to me. I'll say it again later when we close, perhaps, if I remember. But I do plan on resurrecting these uh, Sunday studies and also my Tuesday-Thursday Facebook studies after the first of the year. On January 3rd, we'll start up again uh, on the Sunday afternoon studies at 4 p.m. on Facebook and then also posted to our, uh, uh, our website uh, and will be shown in our live stream page in the big blue box at 6 p.m. on Sundays. And after the first of the year, starting on January 3rd, I'll be covering the book of Mark. Mark, the action gospel. I love that study. Uh, Mark, very similar to Matthew and Luke, but shorter, only 16 chapters. He gets right to the point from the start. And so I'm excited about being able to share that with you. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're going to look at the book of Colossians. A uh, book, as I said in our Bible class this morning, that speaks to uh, the philosophies of the day in the first century and compares them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating study, especially when you consider that we're going through the same things that they went through then as they try to find some other um, uh, substitute for the gospel of Christ when only Jesus can give us the things that, um, that we're seeking in life and that we're needing for eternity. This morning, if you're on our, uh, on our website at westerwin.com on that live streaming page, then you can notice in the archives that the message this morning was on our hope of heaven. And uh, last week was our hope for today. Today was our hope of heaven, our hope for tomorrow. And I appreciated all the encouragement from getting to do that lesson, the wonderful heaven songs that my friend Davy Carter led us in this morning at our West Irwin uh, church service. So all of that uh, commercials are over. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4, uh, these last few verses, and then we'll take a look at uh, the book and the message of Philippians, this incredible epistle of joy uh, that calls us to find joy even in difficult times. Uh, so Philippians 4, uh, verses 21 through 23, an inspiring ending uh, to an amazing letter. So um, these words as Paul ends this letter, and then we'll take a quick run through uh, what he has to say. Philippians 4, verse 21. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Again, a wonderful, inspiring ending uh, to this epistle of joy, uh, this call uh, to rejoice in the Lord always and find that peace that passes all comprehension and understanding. So a few things about the letter that kind of puts those last few verses into context. Uh, the letter was probably written by Paul while he was uh, under arrest in Rome. Remember, as we have said, 
throughout those last uh, uh, several chapters in the book of Acts. He is being charged by the Jewish leaders. After the third mission journey, he ends up in Jerusalem, and they arrest him because they are trying to get him killed. And, um, and then they uh, go to the uh, Roman governor, and they, uh, Paul, because he, is, uh, uh, he has a relative, a nephew, that hears about a plot to kill him, um, the uh, authorities there in Jerusalem, the commander, the Roman commander, sends him to uh, the, the, the head of the occupied, occupying forces in Caesarea, just north of Jerusalem, and to the Roman governor there. Um, Felix, first of all, and then Festus, and um, uh, while there, the Roman governor hears about these charges, and he decides that he needs to keep Paul safe. And in the midst of all of that, as you know, Paul uh, uses uh, a, a right that he has as a Roman citizen to appeal to the emperor, uh, and so he does that. He appeals to Caesar, knowing full well that he can trust the Roman pagan government more than he can trust his own brothers in Judaism. And it's a sad, sad thing for this man who tells the Romans in the book of Romans that he would gladly call himself to be accursed if it meant salvation for his Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, and yet they tried to kill him, just as they had killed Stephen, the first Christian martyr, just as they had killed uh, James, the brother of John, the first apostle murdered, uh, just as Saul himself had, uh, had a hand and incarcerating and putting people to death <clears throat> because of their faith in Christ, just as Jesus himself had been put to death by the Jews and the Romans in the days of the governor <clears throat> Pilate. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, and so now we find Paul having to appeal to Caesar, being taken to Rome on that wonderful, amazing, incredible voyage, exciting words that we read about in Acts 27, and now he is what we might call under house arrest <clears throat> in Rome. He's able to have some freedom, uh, but he is still awaiting uh, his appeal to be heard by the emperor. So in the meantime, he's preaching and he's writing. He writes this and the other what we call prison epistles. Uh, while he's there, <clears throat> he writes uh, Philippians, he writes Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, and uh, they're all Pretty similar, Philemon, of course, the one exception, because it's more of an individual letter uh, to one of the leaders of the church at Colossae. Uh, but this great epistle of Philippians is um, uh, very much a, a, a love letter from Paul uh, to his, in a sense, his sponsoring church, uh, the church of Philippi. Uh, he mentions the brothers here in these words, uh, and it's likely uh, his fellow workers that are there with him still, uh, including Timothy, who he calls his son in the faith, uh, and uh, others as well, uh, that Paul had already mentioned Epaphroditus, likely somebody who uh, may have carried this letter uh, to the church at Philippi, and, uh, and he talks to them uh, about the brothers that are there helping him in his work, <clears throat> his fellow workers. He speaks of the holy ones or saints, all God's people, uh, here, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. <clears throat> when you read saints, sometimes you read saints, sometimes it's God's people or God's holy people uh, in Scripture. It's, a, it's an adjective used as uh, a noun. It's the word holy. And the idea is holy one or holy ones. 
And we're reminded, as I did in the sermon this morning from 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, to live lives that are set apart, to live lives that glorify and honor Jesus Christ as Lord and God as Creator. And so Paul speaks of the Christians that are there in the capital city of Rome uh, who actually send their greetings to the church at Philippi, uh, the church in the northern province of Macedonia in modern-day Greece. And these were people who were great givers, and they had been the Macedonians, Paul mentions, to the Corinthians in the southern part of Greece as he writes those letters and encourages them to make a collection themselves to be able to bring uh, to those in Judea uh, who are suffering under famine. Um, he mentions the Macedonians, the church primarily at Philippi, I believe, who were very generous and gave themselves first to the Lord and then to, uh, to Paul and to the Judean Christians and others uh, in Judea uh, for the sake of uh, helping them through some rough times. And then Paul says something interesting. He says, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I think there's been a lot of speculation about that. You read a good commentary, they'll talk about that some. Were there some from Caesar's own family uh, who had named the name of Christ? That's certainly possible. Uh, Paul would be there for a while awaiting trial, which as best we can tell from history, Luke ends his uh, two-volume set, Luke and Acts, uh, with Paul left there in Acts 28 and able to uh, preach and teach some obviously able to write, uh, but historically we know that Paul was released. Caesar allowed him to be freed, and then he did some more traveling, including all the way to Spain, which was on his bucket list to preach the gospel there as well, and ultimately arrested, brought back to Rome, and this second time uh, Nero has him put to death. But this time it seems that he's released, and, as, and he mentions that here in Philippians in chapter 1. He acknowledges his incarceration, but he also says, you know, whether for me, either way, it works out, I'll be good. I'm going to glorify and honor God with my body in life or in death. And, um, and But as he's talking to them, he greets the Philippians, and included in that greetings are some from Caesar's household, probably not members of the royal emperor family, <laughs> um, but more likely refers to servants and slaves that are within the emperor's household that are there as a part of their duties and a part of, of their jobs uh, to be in and around the palace, in and around uh, the workings of the capital city. And because of that, they had some interaction with the Apostle Paul. And just as he was willing to speak uh, to King Agrippa and to the governors, as we mentioned in Caesarea, uh, he was willing to speak to anyone who would listen, including the emperor himself. I wish we had uh, a, a little bit of a written record of that interaction and that defense that Paul made before the emperor himself. It probably sounds much like that, um, that uh, moment when he was called to stand before the Roman governor Festus and King Agrippa and his sister Bernice and all the pomp of of the, the, the big value, the high people uh, in government in Caesarea, uh, a very important city, the headquarters of the Roman occupation there in Palestine and in that part of the world. And so Paul was there, and he didn't pull any punches, and he preached the gospel as he defended his faith 
another one of those places where he tells his story. And that's how he made his defense. And I have a feeling that when he defended himself before Caesar himself, he did exactly the same thing. He did something very similar sounding to Acts 22 and Acts 25 and Acts 26 as he made his defense and talked about why he lived the way he lived and why he is standing before the emperor himself, accused falsely uh, of uh, seeking to destroy the kingdom of the Romans. Paul never intended to do that any more than Jesus did. As Jesus stood before Pilate, you remember in John chapters uh, 19 and 20, he, he, or 18 and 19, he talks about that. And uh, Pilate says, you're a king, aren't you? And Jesus says, uh, thought Pilate thought he had trapped him because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, and so there was no threat to Pilate. There was no threat to the Roman emperor, Caesar, uh, just as it is today. So it was then. People can be members of God's kingdom, members of God's church, whatever their background, whatever their nationality, wherever ethnically they come from, whether they're rich or poor, uh, whatever their racial background is. Uh, whatever kingdom or country they're in. That's no threat to Christianity because Christianity is a kingdom that is not of this world. It transcends earthly boundaries. And all of those who, whatever their country, whatever their background, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's what Jesus told Caesar. I think that's what Paul would have told the Roman emperor, uh, what Jesus told Pilate, the governor, and I think that's what Paul would have told the Roman emperor Caesar himself. Um, and so as Paul talks about Caesar's household, again, likely servants, employees, workers, uh, people who were there around the palace, although certainly possible that it could have included some from Caesar's and even his own immediate family. But now all of those <clears throat> who were there uh, within the presence of the apostle Paul while in captivity, they're now fellow believers and fellow brethren of the Christians at Philippi. And so Paul addresses them as such and sends their greeting along. How was it possible for Paul to feel and express such joy? He is incarcerated. He does not have his freedom. Uh, granted, it had been worse at other times and would be again, obviously. But for now, he was still, um, did not have his freedom. He had been falsely accused and he had been in shackles and uh, now he is there again. Um, and is awaiting the, uh, the, the uh, hearing before the emperor himself, not knowing for sure whether he'll live or die. And he really truly doesn't. We do. He thinks that it's going to be okay. As we will read, he thinks that, um, that this time he'll be free so that he can continue ministry here in this life. But he doesn't know that for sure. And yet he has such joy and he speaks with such hope and such optimism. How can he do that? What a great lesson for us today, having lived through a difficult year and, and seeing 2021 around the corner, realizing that it's likely not going to get better for a while, uh, and we hope and pray that God will act and will bring relief to those who are suffering. But at the same time, uh, we recognize that that, you know, that may be a while. And so we pray for this vaccine, and we're thankful for it, and we pray for some political uh, consistency and and things to level off a bit so that there will not be that that sense of constant pressure. But we don't know uh, how that's going to go. What we do know is that those are things of this world and that we're not guaranteed anything when it comes to 
of the politics, the economy, anything that has to do with this world. What we are assured of is the presence of Christ. However, all of that works out. And, and for Paul, <laughs> here's how it worked out. It worked out with him being falsely accused, beaten, put in shackles, and put in jail, ultimately to save his life, having to appeal to a pagan Roman emperor <laughs> in the hopes that justice would be done. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of that, he could say things like he does here in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Um, an incredible, incredible statement. How is it possible for him to do that? Well, this letter gives us the answer. And so I'd like for us to just go through this letter, look at several different uh, 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 possible contexts and, and messages that we get uh, through uh, a few short readings, actually nine short readings and topics that we find of significance as we go through this wonderful letter, this epistle of joy, um, the book of Philippians. And so number one on that list is a partnership in the gospel. We have a partnership in the gospel. And for Paul, as he writes to the Philippians, the church at Philippi, he acknowledges that. And, uh, and, this, and he uses that word partnership. It's a technical word. It's a very specific word. It's the word koinonia in the original language. And it's a word that we translate in other passages, fellowship or even in 1 Corinthians communion. Um, it's that word fellowship, and that's how Paul feels about these Christians at Philippi. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 6. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I think what he's talking about there is a financial partnership. The church at Philippi, were that was his supporting congregation, if you will. They sent him money and because he was not working all the time. At times, like when he was with Priscilla and Aquila, fellow tent makers, uh, he would do some things. But then at other times, such as uh, when Timothy and Silas rejoin him, uh, he says, okay, it's time to be full-time into the work of the Lord. And, and that's what he does. As the book closes in Philippians chapter 4, he talks to them about how this money that they have sent is something that is such a great, great blessing. And so he says this, as we saw recently last week in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Talking about the financial gift he received. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. Yet, he goes on to say in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Remember, when he first went with Silas and Timothy into 
Europe, into uh, Greece, into Macedonia, the Macedonian call in Acts 16. Uh, the first place he goes to is to that place of prayer on the Sabbath, and he meets the wonderful woman Lydia, <clears throat> a woman of means, who not only has him come to her house, likely provides some financial support for them while they're there, and then that church that began that day in Philippi continued to financially support Paul even as he went on his second mission journey to Thessalonica. Not that I desire your gifts, verse 17. What I desire is the more of would be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful relationship Paul had with the Philippians, as it should be between a minister or a missionary or a Christian servant with the churches and the individuals that support them. Paul considered their work together a partnership in ministry. And as I do, Paul felt that any good that he had ever done, uh, that the Philippians and others who helped him by providing for his needs were a part of that ministry. And, uh, and what a great partnership in the gospel Paul had with the Philippians, and he acknowledges that as he begins this great letter. Then we continue reading in chapter 1, and it's not just a partnership in the gospel, but it's the preaching of the message of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's talking about being arrested and being in prison. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Remember, he had mentioned those of Caesar's household. As he ended the letter, now he's, as he begins the letter, he acknowledges, hey, people right here in the center of the empire, in the palace itself, are hearing the message of Christ because of this. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Not only was he reaching some people that wouldn't have been reached otherwise, he was actually giving encouragement to other Christians uh, to speak in behalf of the Lord themselves. If Paul was willing to take uh, the chances and take the risk in order to spread the gospel of Christ, it was encouraging them to do the same and us as well, I might add. Verse 15, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, those who preach out of goodwill, do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the ones who preach out of envy and rivalry, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I, am in my while I am in chains. And we might expect the next verse to say, may a curse be brought on them. God, you know the hearts, you know people's motives. Reject them, reject their teaching. Um, bring a lightning bolt down. That's what we would accept, expect. But that's not the apostle's attitude, nor should it be ours. His attitude is simply this, whatever good comes from the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ, even if it's from people with motives of envy and rivalry and division and selfishness, if there's good that can come from it, 
then I will rejoice. And that's what he says in verse 18 of Philippians 1. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul was willing to rejoice at the preaching of the gospel, even if it was done from people who were simply trying to make things more difficult for him. You see, as people outside of where he was incarcerated were naming the name of Christ, they were only doing it so that the guards perhaps would treat him worse inside where he was. But for Paul, that didn't matter. Even if it meant more suffering for him, if people were hearing the name of Jesus Christ, then he rejoiced and he said, I will continue to rejoice in that. Uh, Next in chapter one is living for Christ. This great passage where Paul says, whether I live or die, Christ will be honored uh, through me. In chapter one, beginning in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Uh, Philippians one, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul says, look, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this or not. I really don't. And he didn't. He didn't. But his feeling was he would. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if they put me to death, then I'm in heaven. I'm in the presence of the Lord. It's great. Uh, I will rest in the arms of Jesus. I will go to him who offers that great rest. Um, But he says, if I continue to live, then that will mean more fruitful ministry for me. And he says, I kind of think that that's what God has in store right now. And I look forward to seeing you again, he tells the Philippian Christians, uh, and to receive encouragement from you and give encouragement to you uh, because of that. Something similar, he says, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. He says this in Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, that great verse in Philippians 2 verse 15, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, even if I am put to death for preaching the gospel to people like you in Philippi, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says the worst they can do is kill me. But if it means the gospel of Christ is being spread, then let it be so. What a wonderful, wonderful attitude. And so let's look at the attitude of Christ. How could Paul feel this way? Well, Philippians chapter 2, this incredible passage, gives us the answer. And in doing so, as we said when we covered these verses, Paul makes a statement in the first four verses about how we should live, but then he gives the best illustration ever, starting in verse 5, because he tells us that we are to have the mind and the attitude 
of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then he thinks, what is the best example that I can offer for what I'm talking about and how you should treat others and place them above yourself? Philippians 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, stepping down from the Son of God in the presence of the Father, the very throne room of heaven, as the writer of, of Psalms in Psalm 8 says, uh, take, making himself even a little lower than the angels. The writer of Hebrews brings out that for Jesus, that was a step down. For us, it's a step up. For Jesus, it was a step down. Being found in appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The greatest illustration ever, the mind of Christ, the one who became human, endured death, even death on a cross, and was raised from the dead to be ever the Lord, so that one day every knee would bow and every tongue confess, but that day is not here yet. And so in the meantime, how are we supposed to live the same way? We're supposed to live the same way, selflessly, considering others before we consider ourselves, being unselfish, uh, being respectful, living lives of love and service to others, rather than demanding our way. That's Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. That's the attitude of Christ. In chapter 3, we read about the righteousness of God. This is one of those autobiographical passages where Paul tells a little bit of his story. And what he says, just as he does in that great book of Romans, uh, that I'll be covering on Sunday mornings at our West Irwin Church of Christ starting in January, um, it's the righteousness of God. Paul says, I refuse to settle for the righteousness that I could earn, which is not much. But what I want is the righteousness that comes by grace through faith, the righteousness of God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
This is the righteousness of God. Paul says, I couldn't earn it by keeping the law of Moses. I couldn't earn it as a leader of the Jews. I couldn't earn it even at, in my Christian walk, as he demonstrates in Romans chapter 7. But I could only receive the righteousness of God that comes by faith, that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A great, great statement. Uh, here in Philippians chapter 3. And then he goes on in this passage to announce the goal. And the goal, as we talked about in our sermon time this morning at West Irwin Church of Christ, the goal is heaven. Uh, Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this that he had just spoken about, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, I press on. I press on toward the goal of being in heaven, being forever in the presence of the Lord. Skipping down in Philippians 3 to verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul reminds the Philippians, a Roman colony, a very important city in first century Rome, uh, and he reminds us in 21st century America today, look, don't get lost in the politics. Be, be as active as you want to be. But remember that your citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And however things go in this life, good or bad, and we pray for our leaders, and we pray that things will go well so that the gospel can be spread. That's the message Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, to the Romans in Romans 13. Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 2. The purpose, however, the citizenship that we have ultimately is in heaven. And our desire, our goal, is to press on toward the one thing that is the most important of all. No matter who lives in the White House, our goal is the same. Our work is the same. Our mission is the same. To press on, to win the prize that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, eternal life in heaven, and to bring as many people as possible with us when we go. Paul says that's ultimately our purpose in life. And that is what he lived his life uh, striving for, and we should as well. And what does that give us? Well, that gives us something that this world cannot get, do. It gives us the peace that surpasses all comprehension. In Philippians 4, again, writing from jail, writing from incarceration, writing from being arrested and accused by his own people, of things that just weren't true, that were unjust, and now waiting to stand before the leader of the, of the world, the Roman emperor himself, Caesar, to see if he would do thumbs up or thumbs down on whether Paul lived or died. This is his response. This is his attitude. In Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you all. Amen. Why is it that so many people in our country today, a country so amazingly blessed, cannot find peace? It's because they have forgotten about Philippians 4, verse 8. They have forgotten about that call to let your mind dwell on good things, positive things, things that are true, things that have a good reputation, things that bring peace. Rejoice in the Lord always in good and bad circumstances. I will say it again, rejoice. How do you do that, Paul? He goes on to say, in the midst of difficulties, when you're challenged, with thanksgiving and gratitude in your heart, pray. Let your requests be made known to God. And that's not to say, as we said when we were looking at these passages earlier in the study, that's not to say you deny the difficulty of the situation. You don't. doesn't mean you don't shed tears. You do. It doesn't mean that you're not fearful at times. You are. What it means is that underneath it all, there is a sense of peace. And that sense of peace comes only through Jesus Christ, not through any external circumstances. That inner peace gives us joy. And that's why we can rejoice in the Lord always, because that prayer, that life of devotion and dependence upon God and not anybody else, not anything else, can lead to that peace that surpasses all comprehension and understanding. The world doesn't get it because the world thinks peace and joy and hope are based on external circumstances. It's based on things going your way. And according to scripture, that's just not true. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. But in both, Paul says, rejoice. Why? Because you're rejoicing in the Lord, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And that's when that peace that passes all understanding can fill our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, allowing us to have the mind of Christ. And then we quote again Philippians 4, verse 13, the strength of Christ. Paul saying, in good times and in bad, in plenty or in want and in need, whatever's going on outside, <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you can you can. As we face 2021 and very uncertain times in this country, in the United States, realizing that in many other countries around the world, it is far, far worse. Christians being killed by the thousands in Nigeria simply because of their faith. Um, what we do is we look forward and ahead to the time when Jesus will return. But in the meantime, we announce and remind ourselves and each other every single day, throughout the day, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then finally, this great book ends with the glory of God. Philippians 4, verse 20, that we read just last week, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for being a part of this study. Thank you for being part of these lessons on Facebook and at our, on our website. I appreciate that so much, and I appreciate your desire to find in the Word of God the only place 
where we can find these kinds of things that no matter what's going on in that outside world, and we pray for it, and we act to try to, to, try to make it better, but we know that sometimes it will and sometimes it won't. In all times, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And because of that, we rejoice in the Lord always. And we remind each other, we say it again, rejoice. And we pray and we work and we help and we encourage and we think on these kinds of things, as Paul said, and we recognize that the peace of God that passes all understanding guards our hearts and our minds in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you'll join me on January 3rd as we go through the Gospel of Mark. And I would like to end this series of lessons on Philippians, uh, finding joy in difficult times with this short prayer of blessing that Paul gives to people he loved very much, just as I do you, in Philippians 4, verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.